Sal Zan with Mr. Brian Carey. Hey, True Tools, we're trying to answer any automotive questions you might have. Why don't you go give us a call? It's 291-6901. And you put a 225 in front of that, you can reach us from anywhere inside the continental United States this morning. Yeah, that's right. We sure wish you would. We always love hearing folks all around town and all around the country. All, all around, around the world. world. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. Give us a call. It's 291-6901. 225 will put the error code in there for you. And today, we got an email. Uh-huh, from Mr. Devane. Mm-hmm. He had a couple questions. He was ta- asking about the reliability and pattern failures in the automotive industry. Right. And he also wanted to know if you were going to start a car company from scratch, how would you go about solving those types of problems? And, you know, those are excellent questions. And I don't claim to be qualified necessarily to answer that, except that most of my education was in quality management, which I think is the root of the problem. When W. Edwards Deming made his improvements to the Japanese automobile industry, certainly most of those things have not been adopted in the United States, and I feel is at the heart of the problems that they have. Sure. And the automotive repair business is just a microcosmic view of the auto building industry Mm -hmm. and shares most of the same problems. Right. And I've done a considerable amount of work in that particular field, so I feel somewhat qualified to at least muddle through it <laughs> and i thought we would talk a little bit about that today and of course anything else you might want to know about or ask about we have a general topic almost every week right but that doesn't mean we won't discuss anything you want so you just give us a call it's 291-6901 be glad to try to help you out and answer any questions you might have and that's why we're here today that's now, right we do this show live to answer those questions for you well a lot of times folks call at the shop and of course one of the two ladies that answers the phone are going to screen them out because i can't take calls during the day and well i need to talk well if you just need to chat or you just have a question then chances are they can answer it for you but if they can't and you really need to talk to me this is the time to do it that's it otherwise you can send me an email and i'll get an answer back to you but i just can't stop during the day come to the phone and answer questions right that's why we do the radio show on saturday morning and that's why we need you to call now <laughs> <laughs> yeah because 11 o'clock you're going to be out for another week that's right and you can't call on monday morning and tuesday or whatever during the week because i just can't stop and come to the phone and answer questions it's not that i'm rude or trying to avoid anyone it's just that my job requires 100 percent of my time well you've got four technicians shoving work orders at you all day so all that has to be written up and approved and well, turned right. back out and it's and not fair to those folks who are paying my salary to stop what i'm doing interrupt possibly make a mistake or whatever to field calls right from the outside so like i said odds are if you will just give elaine and elizabeth a shot they will probably be able to answer any question that you've got anyway and we have the website also that's right if not call saturday morning this is the time <laughs> <laughs> now next week we're going to be out because of the columbus day weekend okay but, so you won't be able to get a live answer next week we've got a good pre-recorded show coming on great i think you'll really like it some good information from way back in the top secret agco auto vault, vault. <laughs> <laughs> brought a show up and 20 plus years of shows to, well, to go that's through right. that's right we got quite a few so kind of brings up something that no one's heard before and again getting back to the question at hand you might ask why we see cars that have problems and some of the ones that come to my mind the pattern failures For instance, a good example might be the Ford V8s with the break-off spark plug. Right, the 5.4 three-valve engine. Right. With the the newly designed spark plugs. Right. 
And you got to wonder, how does this get into production? Exactly. And, of course, a lot of the newer cars, like the Acadias and, I forget, the Envoy, uh-huh. with the air-conditioned failure around fifty or 6,000 miles, total system just disintegrates. Or the 3.6 the with the time and chain issues. that don't right. hold up. Or I mean, we could go on and on and on. The Chevy Silverados with the actuators under the dash or the, or the blower s- motors that go out constantly. Or the steering shafts that rattle. Clunk, 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 clunk Right. And you might ask, how do these things happen, and why do they continue to happen? And I guess worse, why do they go on for years right. before they're addressed? Because they know they've got an issue here because they sent out a, a technical service bulletin right. on to the shops so these vehicles, so you have something to reference to when these vehicles come in. Right, but many times they just keep on doing the same old right. things. Right, I don't understand it. And it's like with many, many things, they say, if you want to know why a problem exists, follow the money. And I guess it's kind of sort of the same thing here. If you follow the money and the way money is made and the way they look at things in the auto repair industry, you got to remember one reason that most of these guys all think the same way is because they all came up through the same ranks, and the way to get ahead in that environment was to to do certain things. Correct. For instance, most large business in the United States is – financed through the stock market okay they're public corporations now what does that mean that's not inherently good or bad but it does bring certain dynamics to bear for instance every quarter that corporation is going to have to report their profits and we've got a countless number of folks who look at those profits Mm -hmm. and we have mutual fund managers and so on who make decisions whether to invest or not based Based on on those profits Now, what that does is brings an extremely high pressure to bear on any would-be executive to turn a consistent profit every quarter. Correct. And there's nothing inherently wrong with that, except that nobody's looking long-term. Right. They're all looking right now. Short-term. We're looking at the next quarter. We've got to make a profit next quarter. So let's say we've got a design, and the engineers say, uh, boss, this is not really quite where we need it to be, but the cars have to be out in august ship the cars right let the deals, we, let the deals work it out because they know that if they hold this back the profits are going to drop and what's going to happen is that all the mutual fund managers are going to start selling their stock and somebody's going to come in the board of directors are gonna come in they're going to fire the ceo and they're going to put somebody and get the profits back up now another example of that might be all of our equipment is getting tired right in other words, for for years we've used the same stuff we've used the same techniques so we need to stop and retool However, when we do that, what's going to happen to profits right then? Profits are going to go down. They're going to take a dive. That's right. Because we're, number one, going to invest a huge amount of money. Even though we amortize that over several years, we're not productive with this new stuff until we get it all up and working. So we're going to get a short-term glitch, which long-term is very well worth it. For instance, if we've got a bridge, and I'm just going to shift analogies here a bridge that is in need of repair we may have to shut it down and repair this bridge but short term we're going to have huge traffic jams long term we're going to make it better but if you are awarded strictly on the next three months down the road guess what right (laughs) it ain't happening on my watch exactly and most of the time by the time a fella gets to a position of cfo or ceo in one of these large corporations he's near the end of his career Mm mm-hmm and he's probably got three to five, at most, ten years left. Right. So 
the incentive is let's get in here, turn a big, big profit every make, quarter. And let's just kick the problems down the road. Right. Make as much money as I can for I got to leave. Right. I have got to show that I can do this. I've got to, because that's how success is measured. Mm-hmm. It's not measured by building a platform where we will be a very successful company 20 years from now, because 20 years from now, somebody else will going to get the credit for that. Right. Not unlike what goes on in the United States with our politicians, where they're not going to take on the hard issues because if they do, the problems are going to come right during their administration. They're going to kick those problems down the road. They're going to extend the budget deficit. They're going to do this. They're going to pass. They're going to keep kicking the can down the road for the next guy. And that's sort of the small answer to why this is it just doesn't seem to work or is not working as well as it might and what does it take to fix all that well it would take a total revamp of the entire system correct you're not going to come in with a silver bullet you're not going to hire a consultant who comes in for x number of dollars and straightens it all out you're not going to buy a single piece of equipment or a piece of software that's going to fix the problem it's just a total way of doing things and again going back earlier we were talking about how the auto repair business kind of mirrors the auto assembly business in many, many ways, you see the same exact things going on in the auto repair business. I posted a thing on a forum earlier this week, and we were talking about why some shops might prefer larger jobs, some shops prefer smaller jobs. And of course, all the ones that prefer the smaller jobs come up, well, yeah, but if, you, if something goes wrong and i got to do this job over again for free, well... Well, you shouldn't be thinking that way in the first place. Well, number one... As a technician, why are you having to do this job for free? Because right. the pay system in the industry is really is screwed up. Exactly. They're on straight commission, and if anything goes wrong, it falls back to them. So instead of addressing the real problem, which is the pay system in the industry, they just say, well, we're not going to do a bigger job. We're going to take smaller jobs. So what that means to the customer is you go in with a problem. They're going to sell you a bunch of small stuff because they're going to make good money. Now, they're going to sell you the flushes and the this and the that and the other, mm-hmm. and they're going to ignore the big stuff. They're going right. to let it go. They might not even tell you about it. So what happens, people have a really, really hard time getting bigger things fixed on their car, and they oversold all these little small profitable things because you got a defective system. <laughs> and on and on it goes. And like I said, the, the same analogy could be made towards the auto assembly industry. Mm-hmm. To fix it, what they need to do is go to a model very similar to what W. Edwards Deming described, and which is largely the model that the Japanese auto industry was built on right. when it was coming back from World War II. And one reason why they vaulted right straight up to the top the way they did. Now, what has happened over the years is that you know Dr. Deming died, so he's been gone for quite a while. And the folks who were sitting in those lectures in 1951 are also dead and gone. Correct. Their grandchildren are running things now. So as they get further and further out, they start to adopt other different things, different mm-hmm. and they're getting further and further from. So now you're starting to see like Nissan, who has probably as many problems as domestic companies do, right? Or Mazda, who has as many problems. So just being a Japanese company does not mean you automatically going to follow a philosophy that works. At one time, it sort of did. Right, they all did. Well, a lot of them, the vast majority of them did. Now, Toyota and Honda are still largely following that, even though they've strayed in some instances. But they're largely following that same model, which has put them way, way ahead of everybody else out there, in my opinion. Sure. Great, great question. Hey, we'll be back in just a minute with a whole lot more. Hi, folks. Louis Aldazan here from Agco Automotive. This year, we celebrate 40 years in business, and man, I can't believe all the calls we receive from national dignitaries. Louis, it's the governor. I'm taking time out from my new movie to congratulate you on 40 years. I got to run, but 
I'll be back. Lewis, hey, I'm playing golf with an old friend, and we wanted to call and say that 40 years is quite a run. Lewis, that is absolutely splendorific. <laughs> Hey, Lewis, James here, 40 years, wow. You know, there's nothing more I like than a good homegrown Louisiana success story, except, well, maybe politicking and my tigers. You up now, you hear? Well, I'm flattered. I guess even in the world of politics, honesty and integrity are still something to value. Okay, well, maybe outside the world of politics. Agco, after 40 years, it's still the place to go. Welcome back. If you just join us, the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Lewis Alvazan, with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, between two of us, we'll try to answer any automotive questions you might have. Why don't you go give us a call? It's 291 6901. We'd certainly love to hear from you, and we'll answer any questions you got. You That's give it. Us a call. There you go. You were talking a little bit about how things might be improved. And going back to the auto repair business, one of the very, very first things that I noticed when I start trying to make things better in our company is that largely there is a lack of training that has a lot of problems now when you say okay well let's just get some more training but it's not quite as simple as that because there's also a huge amount of turnover in the auto repair business so what happens is that if you go out and you take your staff and you spend a whole lot of money training them and then they all leave over the next year you really haven't gotten a return on that investment and they're off making somebody else more money exactly so shops are reluctant to spend money on training so one problem sort of you have to solve a second problem to even get to it so then you have to go okay why are these guys leaving so much well a lot of it has to do with their pay system Mm -hmm. one during the summer months they're making a whole lot of money on commission during the winter they're pretty much starving to death right the type of shop environment that you have maybe you've got the climate is not controlled so it's stifling hot in the summer is freezing cold in the winter so now we have to start working on climate control in the shop possibly the mix or the dynamics within the shop in that you've got a hostile environment where nobody likes each other well you brought up a good point a while ago you were talking about the pay the way the technicians are paid today that's right there is a real lack kind of communication and camaraderie is what i was looking for because each guy is in that shop is out for his own good well if you put them in a competitive environment they're each competing one with the other right there you're going to get a competitive environment you're not going to get a cooperative environment right and that's why agco does so well i believe in our in my opinion is Mm -hmm. we're all compatible with each other we all cooperate with each other if one of us has an issue on a vehicle Somebody that knows more, a little bit more about it will stop and go give a hand. That's right. And that doesn't just automatically happen. It is the way people are compensated in that it's not going to penalize them to stop and go Correct. help another person. Because even the best among us, if we're being penalized when we stop to help somebody, we're less likely to do it. And you've also, it's a hiring decision because you have to hire people with similar personalities or people who you feel can get along one with another. Mm-hmm. It's a discipline problem in that you have to enforce certain rules that make it easier for everyone because if you allow people to just shoot from the hip and do what they want, you got certain guys who are going to really irritate others. Oh, yeah. And then it's just the whole system is going to sort of kind of fall apart. So where we're going with that was the training issue, but it's already morphed off in all these different fields. And on and on and on it goes. Another thing is that if you train a person on something he doesn't see very often, that training is gone. Right. It's got to be training on stuff that he's doing, and he's got to see a car enough to where he can reinforce that training and utilize it. For instance, if I train a guy on a car he's not going to see for a year, 
odds are in a year he's not going to remember any of that. Exactly. So that means you have to limit the number of cars you're going to work on. You have to work on a certain number of models that you're equipped and trained to do. And on and on and on it goes pretty much forever. But the end result is the problem is solved. Mm-hmm. It takes an extremely large amount of work and a lot of management to keep it all going. So when you just look at a problem, it's never as simple as just solving that problem. Right. There's that, always a reason for that there's problem. There's a hundred other problems that are driving that problem, and all of those have to be solved. So that's one reason why it just doesn't get improved or doesn't get approved very quickly. Right. Let's go to our phone lines with John. Good morning, John. Hi, it's John from Toronto calling. Hey, John. How you doing this morning? Good. How are you, fellas? Great. Doing man. great. That's good. I wanted to thank you for this show. It's really good to give us the insight into really how the industry works and when I was a young man, I worked for Uniroyal, and they had gave us courses from Deming, and I understand mm-hmm. exactly what you're saying about how the, the industry, your industry, needs to do more of that, or that it's never going to be right. Well, that's right. Uh, and the other thing, unrelated to that, but I just want to thank you for this. It's very good. Some of the newer cars now, I see that even the new Honda Civic and that are going to come out in 16 with these. LED headlights, which scares me if I want to buy one. Have you seen where there's anybody's figured out how to get them in and out cheaper and, and do it so you're not going to spend $1,500 to change your headlights? I haven't seen it yet, John. I would imagine if they start to adopt it more and more, the volume of manufacturing will go higher. So inherently, the cost generally comes down when that occurs. Of course, they have sort of a vested interest in not bringing the price down because they're making a whole lot of money selling them. And for the most part, you know, we looked at a had a Lexus come in earlier this week that someone had tried to aim the headlights and it cracked the mechanism that aimed the headlight. Well, lights flops down. We call Lexus is fourteen hundred dollars for this headlight assembly, a piece of plastic, and nobody else manufactures it. It's not available aftermarket. So, lucky it was on the high beam, and the guy was able to still drive the car on low beam. Although he's eventually going to have to deal with it, he just decided not to do anything right now. But there is a, I guess, an interest that if they can make stuff new every year, then there's not enough of any one model out there for people to come along and compete with them so they can keep the price extremely high. And what happens with, like, say, a headlight assembly that keeps that price so high, the majority of them that are damaged are damaged in collisions, mm-hmm. not just wearing out. And in a collision, there's generally an insurance company paying the bill. So it's not that the customer doesn't care what it costs, but he's paying insurance premium. He expects the car to be fixed. Now, it's reflected in the form of higher insurance prices for everybody, but it's not something that you pay directly yourself. So there's no real pressure to bring that price down like they might be on a wear and tear item where everybody's complaining about it. Okay, well, it's not good news. but Not good news. (laughs) (laughs) It's the truth. Yeah, yeah. Well, thanks, fellas. I appreciate it. Thanks again for the dimming discussion. Bye-bye. All right, John. Thanks, man. Bye-bye. I two nine one sixty nine zero one. That's John from Toronto, Canada. If he can call him Toronto, you can sure call him Baton Rouge. That's it. <laughs> that thing that he mentioned with the prices of uh-huh. things, and there is not a big, big incentive to bring price down when you are the only guy in town. When well, you're the only game in town, right? You got the market cornered with a competitive environment where you are have say three people to compete with. Well, then everybody is trying to get the business, so they're more likely to give the consumer a better break right. because they want to capture the market. When you are the only supplier of a certain product, well, then yeah. what do they care? <laughs> yeah, that's right. The more they can make, the better it is. It's, it's mine. If you want it, you're going to pay for it. Well, that and so much of it, what we find is that 
things are made to be assembled easily. Most definitely. On the assembly line, but that may vastly complicate repair of it. Sure. For instance, to make this easy to assemble, it should come as a component. I don't have to put any parts together. I just stick the entire component on, right. and it goes down the line. So I right. save the individual assembly. However, when one part fails... The entire assembly has to come back out. That's right. It all has to come out and all has to be replaced. I know in Ford, cases. Ford did that with their radiator condenser assemblies in the Crowns, I believe it was. And I think mo- across most, their line, yeah, you buy, you can't buy a condenser, you can't buy a radiator, you buy a condenser, a radiator, and a fan assembly because that's right. how it comes. And that's maybe saves them three minutes on the assembly line putting these parts together that's what they're after but when your radiator goes out you're spending a thousand dollars for an assembly plus having to recharge the air conditioner and everything else correct of course on a ford probably the air conditioner will go out through the radiator, <laughs> I was gonna say. <laughs> <laughs> but it's the same thing when you got to buy a condenser exactly if a rock pops a hole in that condenser now you're buying a condenser a, a radiator, radiator. And, yes and right the assembly so they just kind of pass those costs off to the consumer let's go back to our phone lines with steve good morning steve hey good morning guys good How morning you doing this morning 2007 Toyota Tacoma with a V6. Yes, sir. 60,000 miles on it. Mm-hmm. I bought it used about six months ago. It's a great truck. Mm-hmm. They had the, the previous owner had the HD compressor replaced. Okay. And it works great, but what happened is at any engine speed, I'll be driving down the road and I turn the AC on, mm-hmm. you can feel a, a hard jolt on the engine when that compressor kicks in. And I'm wondering maybe if they overcharged it or... They shouldn't be doing it. I mean, no, not, anyway. not. That is a possibility, Steve. One thing I would want to do first, the truck should have a tachometer in it, right? Yes, sir. Okay, watch the tachometer. Just sit in your driveway with the engine idling, with the AC off. Reach over, flip it on, and watch what the tachometer does, and see if the engine speed drops way down and then comes back up. I did that. The high idle kicks in, and it doesn't do it all the time. Mm-hmm. But it, it, but the speed doesn't drop off, and or it just kind of stays about the same speed or goes up slightly? It goes up a little bit. Okay, that's normal. That's what it should right. do. What I was getting yeah. at is that if the idle control servo is binding or whatever, it will drop way down, then it'll pop back up, and that'll give you a hard jolt like that. It is possible that the unit is overcharged. That would certainly do that. Another one is that when they put it on, they did not attach all the bolts tightly. Maybe one of the bracket bolts is loose, and it may be moving on the engine. Can you physically see it okay? Yeah, I checked it out. I mean, I've done a lot of mechanic work. Mm-hmm. I checked it out good. It's good and tight. The belt's new, and it's not squealing yeah, or anything the, like that. The compressor that. doesn't move or anything. Yeah, and it's a six-speed, so it's actually an X-runner. I don't know mm-hmm. if you ever worked yes. on an X-runner yeah, before, right. but, mm-hmm. you know, I can be in third gear doing, you know, 3,000 RPM, turn that air conditioner on, and you can feel it. Wait, it hit yeah. hard. Now, how about the belt tensioner? What does it do when you turn it on? Does it jerk or jolt? I didn't know. I didn't catch that one. I take, didn't watch. Take that. a look and see if that has a tensioner on it, because not all of them do. Right around 07s when they went to a, what they call automatic tensioner. Prior to that, you had a bolt tightened tensioner. But if it's got an auto tensioner on it, make sure that tensioner spring is not weak and that tensioner is releasing and grabbing. Because when you cut the AC on, I mean, you're throwing about a 30 horsepower load on that engine. One last thing I would look at is the harmonic balancer. Make sure I have seen the rubber inside the harmonic balancer start to deteriorate. <laughs> And okay. that pulley can slip right. or jerk on the hub, and that'll do that as well. I'm bringing it to y'all then. There you go. <laughs> yeah, because you don't want it to I, pop I, off and I, go I, through I, the radio. I fought trying to pull harmonic balances off, and if you ain't got the right tool, you can't do it without oh, the yeah. Yeah, yeah, I, I tell you what, some of that stuff is amazingly simple. 
and some of it is amazingly that's right irritating to even look at <laughs> much less try to work on oh yeah yeah but yeah i would certainly want to evacuate the system first off and see what the charge load is on it because that will tear that compressor up if it is yeah charged. i hate to spend thousand dollars on it it's brand new it works great that's I'll right i'll yeah. run about there in the next couple months now i ain't gonna be using it as much but yeah hate to let it sit till that's next right. year don't want to let it break all right man. thank y'all thanks steve bye-bye all right, we're going to take another quick little break. We'll be right back with more on the Automotive Hour. Hi, it's Louis Altazan from Agco Automotive. It's our 40-year anniversary, and the phone's been ringing off the hook with congrats from far and wide. Good day, and congratulations from Buckingham Palace. Next time you're in London, Lewis, you must stop by for tea. I'm restoring an old Aston Martin and have some questions about the timing adjustments. Hope to see you soon. Lewis, it's your nanny. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I wanted to call and tell you how proud I am of you. Forty years is nothing to sneeze at. <laughs> Ho, ho, ho! Lewis, fixing cars right the first time for over 40 years. You've been a very good boy. I think I have something special for you this year. Keep up the good work. See, calls from far and wide. I guess 40 years of high-quality work really means a lot to people and keeps me on the nice list. Now I can't wait for Christmas. Agco. After 40 years, it's still the place to go. Hey, welcome back. Just join us the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Lewis Alvazan, with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, between tools, we'll try to answer any automotive questions you might have. Go ahead and give us calls, 291-6901. And we still got several more minutes to answer your question thoroughly. Right, we've got roughly half the show left, so you just give us a call, and we'll get that question answered for you. Live and in person. There you go. <laughs> Last week, we were talking about selling a car uh-huh and we had also said that we would go in a little bit about buying a car right used car particularly and we just kind of ran out of time last week so we didn't have time to talk about that so i thought we'd maybe discuss that just a bit when you're out looking for a car whether it new or used mm-hmm. i would suggest following the same pattern as buying either or, or that's right because same you never wow. know what happens to a new car i mean i've seen them damaged on the transport truck that's right so you never know what you're buying chances are you're buying a very decent car that's not in bad shape if you're buying new mm-hmm. so it's still worth the the extra to have it checked before yeah, you actually well, purchase that, it and if you have a good trusted service person you might just ask their opinion before you decide on a car that you're going to buy what is the service history on this car because as we were speaking about in the first segment pattern failures and so on some cars just particularly newer cars uh-huh. just seem to have a whole lot of inherent built-in problems they do now that being said most of them will go about a hundred thousand miles without a great deal of trouble as well, long as they're well maintained that's the average life of a new car because that is what is designed is engineered and designed to last that long that's right they tell an engineer what is the maintenance schedule for this vehicle and his first question is well how long does it have to last uh-huh 100,000 miles. Okay, well then do this, do this, do this, do this. Now, you take the exact same car, the exact same engineer, and say it has to last 300,000 miles. He's going to give well, you a totally different schedule at exactly. that point. But that is the criteria. And it probably always was that way, except that they tended to really, really over-design cars in the past. Right. For instance, a Chevy pickup truck, just to pick out of the blue, 
was rated at a half ton, but you and I and everybody else knows you could probably put a ton and a half in it and not hurt it at haul all. Haul it down the road, and it was going to squat down in the back, but that was about it. And as long as you didn't do it every day, you could probably do that and get by with it. Exactly. However, the trucks that they're building today, if it says a half ton, that's 1,000 pounds, and that doesn't mean put 1,010 in there. <laughs> <laughs> you may sustain damage on the first go round, and you will definitely sustain damage if you keep going. It's just they have refined engineering down to a point where they can build it without a whole lot of extra redundancy in there. Right. And I was speaking with an engineer in the office the other day, and we got on the topic. And he says, well, what do you think engineers do? I said, well, I guess you figure out the best way to do something. It's absolutely not. We figure out the least expensive way to do something. Okay. Because if we're building a bridge and you tell me one car a day is going to come over this bridge – it's never going to have more than 20-mile-an-hour wind blowing on it, and it's never going to be a time when there's going to be multiple cars sitting on it at one time, then I'm going to tell you a 12-inch I-beam will hold that load. Mm-hmm. And that's what it takes. But if you say, okay, one day there may be a Cat 5 hurricane in the area, and there might be 200 cars sitting on this bridge at the same time, okay, well, now we need a 36-inch I-beam. Exactly. Because I can't over-design for something that's not ever going to happen. And what has happened is they've refined this down to the point where they're building them to do exactly what they say they're going to do, but it's not that over-designed that there was in the past. That people are used to. People are accustomed to. They're accustomed to doing things that are really not what they should be. Another example of that might be if you say, okay, the car has to last 100,000 miles. How long can the coolant go? Well, the coolant can go five years on the first change and three thereafter. But what people do is they run that coolant out six, seven years. Mm -hmm. Now, five was the absolute blue sky estimate under perfect conditions. You're going out seven. Now you've well, got corrosion. So the first thing you know is you spring a leak in the radiator, you spring a leak in the heater core, the water pump goes out. And the reason it is is because the coolant is now corrosive and it's attacking the cooling system. You go change the one part that's leaking, and another part goes out. Exactly. Change that part, another part goes out. And you say, well, the shop's not fixing it right. No, no, the shop's fixing it right. It's just you allowed a tremendous amount of damage to occur before you brought it in to get it repaired because mm-hmm. you didn't do which we're supposed to we're do. supposed to do. And even that five years is very, very optimistic. Right. If it's my vehicle, I'm probably going to change it closer to three years the first time and about every two years thereafter, just because I realize that is so much cheaper. Well, we see it every day. That's right. We see this kind of damage every day of the week. That's right. Somebody comes customer comes in with a vehicle it's just the corrode the cooling system well, is completely eaten out of either it. they've got a leak or it's overheating. And that's the first symptom they have seen. However, the problem is the system is totally wiped out. Right. And when you tell them what it's going to cost to fix that, it almost exceeds the value of the car, which brings you back to our original discussion of buying another car, (laughs) which is where many people end up. Uh The point is most cars can get at least 100,000 miles if you will at least follow the manufacturer's recommendations. Many cars can get far, far more if you will take a more proactive approach and do better maintenance than what they require. And a lot of people will kind of question and say, well, why should I do more than what they say? Because it's in your best interest. Sure. It's going to lower your overall cost. You're not worried about how much you spend on maintenance. You're worried about how much can you save by preventing problems. And how far is this car going to go if we do that? Well, that's right. So if you talk with your service professional before you buy the car, he may advise you against, you may see a car you think is just the coolest thing in the world, but you may not know what the service history is on that car. Like we talked about earlier, the Acadia and the Envoy series car, I would not advise anybody to buy one of those vehicles Mm -hmm. because we see absolutely just a multitude of problems with them. Major problems. 
Same thing with the Ford F-150 series pickups with some of the new engines. I mean, we're seeing those engines go out at 100,000 miles. Got one in the shop right now. We're putting a new engine in. Right. Rod knocking at 108,000 miles. And that's not a very out-of-the-way type of thing. We see that every day, all the day long. Some vehicles have problems with air conditioning. The air conditioning goes out at low mileage. So if you can get that information and narrow your search to the cars that have the least amount of problems up front, it's going to save you a whole lot of money, a whole lot of grief, and make your car ownership a whole lot more pleasurable over the life of that car. Let's get the best possible car to start with, Sure, be it used or be it new. Now, that comes to another point. If you're a very emotional person and you just kind of look at a car, you fall in love with the color or you fall in love with the sound system or you like the styling and you're hell-bent to buy that car, well, then just disregard everything we're saying. Just go just, go buy the car and just deal with whatever happens. Just understand what's going to happen later. Hopefully, it'll be a good car and you'll be happy with it. But if you're going to make an emotional decision, then that is an emotional decision. That's fine. Logic is not going to sway uh-huh. you one way or the other. What we're talking about is a logical and financial decision looking at it from that perspective now i gotta say if i wanted a bright red sports car and i was 55 years old and i had the money i'd go buy it Mm -hmm. because that's what i want and darn it i'd buy it i don't care (laughs) however if i am raising a young family money is very tight to me and i need transportation between point a and point b right i'm not gonna gonna buy that car right you're gonna gonna, go look for something else i'm gonna look for something that is cheap to keep something that's gonna be economical to drive and so on and so forth so i'm gonna make a different choice now if you can get the emotions out of it if you're able to make a logical and financial decision then what you need to do is sit down and look at all the potential cars do your research on those Mm -hmm. decide what is the car that meets your needs best before you ever go look before you ever step on a lot right make that decision then only go look at that car. Because if you start looking at various cars and the salesman starts showing you what he's got on the lot, you're going to get so confused because there's so many different models on the market. Everyone has cool features on it. You, your first trip to the lot ought to be on a Sunday. Yep. With, with, no, no, with nobody there. Nobody's there. You can walk around. You can make your decision. You can look at the car. You can't drive it. You can't right. open it up. But you can physically take a look at it and see if that's in your best interest right you know what i also recommend to folks if you got a certain car that you think is really cool and you've done your due diligence and you think this is a good car why not go rent one of those cars exactly maybe a week i was thinking that same thing because you can rent most cars not all but most under 150 bucks for a week that's right and rent it drive it around for a week then you can say you know i don't quite really like this. i really hate that you got to crank your neck around because you can't see out that side Uh last really well Uh that that seat comes up and the seat belt cuts me in a very uncomfortable position and i just don't like the way all the controls are on the dash they're very very hard to reach and they're hard to just consider consider that amount of money research that's right it's as research invested to get the right choice right you may be able to head off a huge mistake right there rather than go out and of course when the salesman's jacking in your ear and he's telling you how great this car uh-huh. is, how you better buy this one because, boy, they go fast. Yeah, that's right. Won't have any more tomorrow. All that other garbage that is going to come into play. And, of course, the other salesman go, oh, man, you're making a great deal here. You know, Right. All that kind of bull is going to influence you whether you like it or not, no matter how large. I mean, Spock could probably walk in there and it's going to still <laughs> influence him to a certain degree because he's uh-huh. got that little bit of human side in him. And so you want to make all these decisions. Decide what car you want before you ever go out. Sure. Once you've decided the car that you want, now all you have to do is get the best price on that particular car. Now, we're going to take one more last quick little break, okay? but we're going to be right back with that and a whole lot more. 
Hey, Lewis Aldazan from Agco Automotive. This year we celebrate 40 years in business, and you won't believe the people calling in to congratulate us. Hey, Lewis, it's Jay. You, you know, I'm in the cars myself, and 40 years of business is amazing, just amazing. You know, if I still had my show, I'd have you in the interview chat just like that. Mr. Altazan, congratulations from your old pal Jack. 40 years is quite an accomplishment, and that's the truth. I should know, because I can handle the truth. Uh, uh, Lewis, it's, it's me, Oz. 40 years. I, I can't even... Bloody amazing. Sharon, where's my cell phone? Oh, that's right. I, I, I'm on it. Now I've got to find my glasses. Well, it's been really nice getting all these calls. I guess in this day and age, people really appreciate an automotive repair shop that does good work and will never steal your own. Agco. After 40 years, it's still the place to go. Welcome back to the final segment of the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Aldazan, president of Agco Automotive. Got our lead tech, Mr. Brian Terry, right here by my side. Hey, between two of us, we'll try to answer any automotive questions you might have. Glad to try to help you out and point you in the right direction. We sure appreciate you spending your Saturday morning with us. We were talking a little bit about buying cars during the last segment, and you brought up during the break an excellent point about renting a car. Uh-huh. When you rent a car, that car is optionally at one point it's going to be up for sale that's right because they only keep those cars just about till the warranty runs out right and then they try to sell them off at a discount right so you may end up renting a car liking it and talk to the salesman there at the rental place about purchasing this car yeah that car won't like it that they've got on hand because i know like enterprise and some of those have divisions that uh have cars right because they generate so many cars between the ones they buy and the ones they use and the ones they sell and you got to take into consideration there are have been several people driving this vehicle. Mm-hmm. You don't know how they drove right. it. Right. So have it checked. That's right. You I mean, that's the way I bought my truck when I bought that 06 Silverado. It came from the Enterprise Rental Company here in town. And I went through, I think, five vehicles. To find one. To find a, the best one. That's right. Before I decided to buy one. Well, you can't assume with a rental car or with a certified car, or, or with any, kind any of, used car, and for that matter, for a lot of new cars, right. that it is a known good vehicle. You have to check it. I have folks all the time will email, and they'll say, well, you say that Toyota Highlander is a good vehicle. Uh-huh. Should I just go ahead and buy this? Well, as a rule, it's they a are. good vehicle. However, we don't know what's happened to this one. Correct. Has it been overheated? Has it been flooded? Did someone burn the transmission up and then dump some heavy fluid in it and go and trade it? Has it been wrecked? Has it been wrecked? Right. On and on and on it goes because if it's been severely wrecked, cut in half, and two of them put together and welded. That is not the vehicle you want. It may look just fine (laughs) to a cursory inspection, but a professional lifting it up, looking underneath, may be able to spot all these things. So just because a vehicle has a good service history does not mean you just blindly go and buy it. Now, another example of that is with a certified used car. And from my experience, I have checked literally thousands of cars over the years Mm -hmm. that people are going to buy. The word certified means virtually nothing at all. It's just another word for a used car that generally has an extended warranty tacked onto the price. Right. It is no better. It is no worse. It is no anything more than any other car. It's just an advertising term with really no meaning. Mm -hmm. It's kind of a word break job or tune up. It really doesn't mean anything. It's just a word people think means something. Mm -hmm. But because a car is certified, you don't give it one bit more credibility than you would with any used vehicle that you're buying. 
we had a car come in not that long ago and it was a certified used car and it was fairly low miles and we start checking and the first thing we did we opened the trunk and there's a bunch of rust in the bottom of the trunk there's about a half inch water in the trunk so we checked a little closer and it had been wrecked in the back and the deck lid didn't fit very well right. and the rear quarter panels were shifted over right so how did that get certified <laughs> uh, except that it did it did now you had to pull the carpet up to see all this so apparently nobody did that uh-huh. but when you pulled it up you saw the rust and it wasn't gonna be too long before this rust was gonna come out to the outside and then it was gonna be a big problem not that it wasn't well, ready i was gonna say it was already a problem because water was intruding into the trunk where it shouldn't have been that's right and the reason it was because the unibody was shifted out of line on the vehicle so I told the guy, no, sir, it's not one you want to buy on a bet. Mm-hmm. And, of course, it was, but it's certified. Well, it Dang. may very well be. However, this one's been wrecked. It's getting water in the trunk. So apparently the certification process is not all that <laughs> you think it might be. Remember, years ago we had one come in, and we started checking and put it in reverse to back out of the bay, and it wouldn't even back up. Uh-huh. And transmission was about three-quarters low on transmission fluid. So, again, how did you certify this car? Who certified this? Right. Because you might want to add another point to your 99-point inspection, make <laughs> it a hard point, go to check transmission fluid, because I think that's pretty important. Exactly. And dump three-quarts fluid in it. Well, it backed up, but, again, it was leaking. When you put fluid in, it started leaking. Before, uh-huh. it wasn't leaking. Because it, it was it, low. <laughs> it had leaked down to the point where it quit leaking. In other words, if the leak is a certain area up on the side of the case, let's say it's three inches up on the side of the case, maybe a speed sensor or whatever, it's going to leak down to that point. Once all the oil leaks out, it's going to quit leaking. Sure. So you may not see a leak, and you may not notice a leak, and some vehicles will even keep on driving because they're robust enough where they will not show a symptom until later. You may make a hard turn, and it may jump off into neutral or whatever, but it can also damage the transmission. Well, so, it already has. If it's slipping, if it wouldn't go in reverse, that's right. there was no pressure on the clutches, so it was... You are doing damage You are doing damage, point. right. So these are the kinds of things that only an inspection can tell you. Now, a lot of folks will say, well, what about these electronic reports that you can get on the car? They gave me this something-something uh-huh. facts report. Well, that's right. great, and that is certainly gives you more information. However, they're very limited. It doesn't give you all the information. Right. That information generally is going to come from insurance companies and warranty records. In other words, they buy the warranty records from the car manufacturers, and they buy records data from Uh the insurance companies so that if the car was wrecked and the insurance company fixed it it's going to show up on this report right but let's say the car was wrecked and joe blow fixed it in his backyard the guy dropped his insurance on it so he didn't have full coverage and it got wrecked and so he took it to this guy who patched it up in his backyard did a really deplorable job well that's not going to show up anywhere exactly because there was no insurance data the only way that's going to show up is with a visual inspection that's right now if the police came out and wrote a report it may or may not show up because they don't necessarily cross-reference all that but let's say the guy ran in a ditch calls his buddy with a chain they pull the car out they put another set of tires on it because it blew the tires out and they realize it's pulling down the road like gangbusters they bring it to a shop man you've got a bunch of frame damage yeah yeah yeah. well can you just patch it up and make it go straight well we'll do 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 uh-huh. well then it goes get traded in now that shows up absolutely nowhere exactly another might be well the car got severely overheated and blew the head gasket or cracked the cylinder head they dump some stop leaking and they go trade it in Again, that doesn't show up anywhere. You have to have someone physically inspect this particular car. Now, everybody has their own way of billing for pre-purchase inspections. Uh And you might want to check on that because some shops are going to have a flat fee that they can charge to, to check it. And that's okay as far as it goes. What we like to do is bill by the tenth of an hour increment. 
and in one-tenth of an hour increments because what that means is I am looking at this vehicle from the standpoint of I want to find a reason why you would not buy it. Right. I'm not interested in finding a whole lot of reasons why you should buy it. You've already made up your mind you want to buy it. I'm looking for reasons why you should not buy it. So let's say I put it up, and the first thing I do is I notice that when it shifts, it flares between gears. The first thing I'm going to do is pull the dipstick. The fluid is pitch black, and I smell it, and it's burnt. Do we really need to go any further? No, we can stop at two-tenths. We can stop, yeah, one or two-tenths of an hour, and that's all you need to pay for because at that point you have got the information you need. Not to buy it. To not buy this car. Correct. It's clearly going to need a transmission. The exception might be if you're buying it $5,000 under retail price. Then you may want to go on and see what else is wrong with it. You may want to check what else is wrong, if anything, and see if there's no other problems and you're buying it cheap enough where you can afford to put a transmission. That's your choice. Maybe even the person selling the car told you the transmission is going out. Uh He's giving you enough of a discount on the vehicle to pay for that. Well, that's fine. Then you would go beyond that. Correct. But the point is what you're doing is you're going in and inspecting from a standpoint of reasons not to buy the car. Another question that we get a lot is what things do you check? Well, the things that I check depends on what I find because when I test drive the car, The technician is like a sponge. He's soaking up all this data. He knows what a car is supposed to feel like. He's looking for things that That are not normal, indicate a problem. Now, if he's driving a car and the AC is blowing hot, the first thing he's going to do is start checking the AC because that is a potentially large expense that we need to know about. Now, if the AC is blowing ice cold, but the transmission is flaring between gears, now we're going to the transmission. If the AC is good and transmission is fine, but it pulls to the right harder than Rush Limbaugh, then we're looking for something in the... In the f- you know, now we know that we've got some type of suspension issue. Now, if it drives perfectly straight, I may not look at that. I may mm-hmm. start with something else. I may start by scanning codes and pending codes. If there are no codes, all the IM tests are complete. There are no pending codes. I'm not going to waste a whole lot of time going further with that because there's no problem indicated there. I'm going to start checking more and more things until I find a potential big problem, then I'm going to go in-depth on that. Because the other option is, okay, well, yeah, I can drop the pan on the car, on the transmission, inspect the transmission. I can do a compression test on the motor. But do you really want to pay money for all that? Because it would take a couple, three hours to do all those things. Do you really want to pay for all that and then possibly overlook something else Right. when what you're looking for are reasons why you might not want to buy this car? So what that inspection is going to include is going to depend on what that car needs or what things I find when I start checking that vehicle. Mm -hmm. We start looking at the car, and the first thing we notice is the paint doesn't match and the hood cracks are off. Right. We're starting to look for frame damage. We're looking for frame, body, collision kind of damage. If we open the trunk and there's water in the trunk, you know you got a leak. We're starting to look for things that would account for that. If I get in the car and it has a very strong deodorant smell where it's just been clean, but under it I'm picking up a hint of a musty odor, the next thing I'm going to do is pull the carpet up and start checking for flood damage. Right. You remember that one we pulled up the carpet up and it had the, the oak leaves underneath yeah, it? Yeah, leaves and leaves grass and, trash and, everything and everything else underneath the carpet. Under the carpet. But sure did. It had a very, very strong deodorizer smell because someone had vacuum clean and deodorized tried to, his car, tried, tried to disguise to that. that smell that's right and you got to remember car lots want to get the most that they can get for the car so they're going to try to mask any problems that Mm -hmm. the car might have so the point is when you have an inspection what that inspection is going to encompass is based on what you find when you get into this particular car correct 
two identical cars with the same exact amount of mileage coming from the same dealership are going to get, get two, two different, totally different checks. That's right. Depending on what is indicated. Not unlike if I go to a doctor for a physical and he checks my temperature and it's 105 degrees, well, he's not going to go and check a lot of other things until he finds out what's wrong there right. because that's a killing thing. If he checks my blood count, my white blood cells are way, way high. He's going to do things based on the indications of the symptoms you give him and the tests that he runs and the benefits that. We'll try to talk a little bit more about that maybe a week after. we got to get on out of here. Tell everybody how much we appreciate them listening this morning and every Saturday morning on Automotive Hour. I'd like to thank all our podcasters for listening this week and every week and tell your friends and get some more people listening. That's right. We appreciate a written review as well. If you do, it'll move us up in the rankings so more people can hear us and we can keep on doing the show. Hey, preceding was opinion based on our experience in the automotive industry. Have a great weekend. Thank you.